As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Linda Curtis's daughter was a child who always smiled. Unlike most children who throw tantrums or cry over the silliest thing, like wanting to write with a red pencil instead of a green one, her daughter was always happy. Linda had it easy when Tammy was a child. Linda joked that Tammy, quote, woke up with a smile and went to bed with a smile, end quote. In addition to her mild nature, Tammy was also a beautiful child with blonde, bouncing ringlet curls and big hazel eyes so bright and curious as they took in everything around her. Because of her, as her mother called it, uncommon beauty, Linda put her preschooler into pageants and became her agent in those endeavors happily taking on the role of pageant mom to help Tammy excel. You see, Linda was a pageant coach and modeling agent in her professional capacity. She knew talent when she saw it, and her own daughter had success written all over her. And excel, Tammy did, even during one of the toughest times in her little life when her parents divorced. Through it all, Tammy tried her best and almost always came out on top. Even as the years passed, it seemed there was no stopping her determined climb to the top. Until, that is, the day trip in 1983, from which she never returned home. This is the case of Tammy Lynn Leapert. Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. And my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the cases will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, because, as we all know, conversation helps to keep the missing person in the public consciousness, helping keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. 
Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Well, I am intrigued by this intro. Yes. So as you can tell from the introduction, practically from the time that Tammy Lynn Liepert entered this great big world on February 5th, 1965, she seemed destined for stardom. Much of Tammy's childhood and early teen years were spent as the subject of the camera or of the beholding eye when she was being photographed for magazines or she was a contestant in many many beauty pageants and maggie when i say that she was in many many beauty contests i do not use hyperbole tammy was in close to 300 beauty pageants in those formative years yeah beginning when she was around four years old wow that's impressive i'm googling her right now because i want to see what she oh she is really pretty she looks like a baywatch model yeah she's beautiful and what's more maggie she brought home a crown in nearly all of the pageants that she was in she had 280 crowns from those roughly 300 contests that's pretty good winning percentage and so she's been doing this from the time she was little until this incident Mm -hmm. occurs wow Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And some of those pageants, they were big ones. They were ones like Miss Teen Florida and Miss Sun and Surf. So these aren't just like little, you know, like Miss Little Pageants. Cream or whatever. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So it goes without saying that most people would consider Tammy Lynn Liebert stunning. Yeah. And as you just saw, she is. As an early teen, she had even earned herself a cover page image on Cover Girl magazine. Now, I'd never heard, obviously, I've heard of Cover Girl makeup, but apparently there was a Cover Girl magazine. And she was only 13 years old when she made the cover. So, yeah, she has a very promising future. Mm -hmm. So her wins in the pageant world and her blossoming modeling career soon also caught the eye of movie directors who offered the teenaged Tammy Lynn small parts in various films. Mm -hmm. The first film in which Tammy Lynn had a part, this one was an uncredited role as a quote unquote party girl. That was in 1980 when Tammy Lynn was only 15. Wow. This role, yeah, this role was in the movie Little Darlings, which I'd never heard of, but it starred a young Tatum O'Neill and young Christy McNichol. And the premise of this film was that these two girls, Tatum O'Neill and Christy McNichol, were taking bets on who could lose their virginity first. Yeah, I've never heard of this movie. The summer camp. Yes. And what kind of movie is this for teens? Yeah. Well, you know, every scary movie there at summer camp, and if you have sex, you die. So I guess that's like a common theme. Right. And Tammy Lynn's second bit role came actually three years later as a minor, again, uncredited character in the 1983 sex comedy Spring Break. Another movie I had never heard of. But when I say sex comedy, I mean... 
similar to Little Darlings, the genre of comedy that is a sex comedy has as its central action like this sexual situation. And in this particular film, two different pair of college boys, so four college boys in total, wind up in Florida booked to the same room. So like these two friends had booked the room for spring break and these other two friends had booked the room for spring break. So all four of them, as you can imagine, young men on spring break. Oh, I'm sure they all have the same thing in mind. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. And it's not just drinking that they have in mind. Right. I'm sure they're girl crazy. Yeah. So Tammy Lynn actually played a part in a boxing match in the film, but she is also said to have been the model for the body that is shown on the cover of and the posters for the film. And I say the body because it just shows the stomach, hips, and legs. And I just want to add a personal comment. I'm going to show you this cover again side personal comment i just find the cover of this film so distasteful because and i would hope that there wouldn't be images like this on a film today there probably would be but i would hope that there's not because it just shows the bottom half of this bikini clad girl obviously like her face doesn't matter right it's from her stomach down And the four protagonists of the film are planting a flag on the girl's hip. Like they're staking a claim to her. Like she's their property. Or they've like won this battle. It's the American Pie vibe. It does a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And while I hope that those who worked with Tammy Lynn saw her as more than just her body or pretty face it does seem pretty likely that her body was the one used for the film's poster for the cover art Mm -hmm. and that based on her bit parts it does appear that you know probably she was booked in those parts for her beauty yeah, but you can see I've posted them here for Maggie and I'll post them for you, Sleuth Hounds, the pictures, not only of Tammy Lynn, so you can see her face, right? Um, and but there's also the the cover of the movie. So you can you can tell that probably is her who was used for Yeah, the especially cover. when you look at the picture of her with the surfboard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So by the summer of 1983, Tammy Lynn was already performing in her next small scene in a movie, but this one was as a girl who provides a distraction to the lookout car. So again, cast for her looks, but this was in the 1983 film Scarface starring Al Pacino. Okay. So that's a more popular or well-known, I guess I should say, movie. Yes. Yeah. So at least her bit parts in these films, even if they're uncredited, they're beginning to be in, yeah, more widely viewed films. Yeah. She's gaining, like, credibility and recognition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She was also, and I couldn't tell 
it was hard to tell based on the wording of the research because there weren't specific dates given. She was either about to film or was filming a documentary film in which she was the star that was called Cover Girl Behind the Scenes. Oh, cool. I know. But regardless, it was her role in these films that led many people who knew Tammy Lynn to say that she had mentioned a desire to move to Hollywood to see if she could quote unquote make it but by make it yeah she really didn't mean yeah she did she didn't really her goal wasn't to be some famous movie star but she did want to have a full acting role like the role itself was her goal not necessarily stardom but before any of that could happen maggie something changed in tammy Her family and friends noticed it after a party that she attended to celebrate the wrap of filming for Spring Break. So the movie right before her part in Scarface. Okay. The movie aired in March 1983. And while I couldn't find the date of the wrap party anywhere, I'm going to assume that it was sometime in late summer or early fall of 1982, because that would have been several months before it actually showed in movie theaters. Okay. That this event that changed Tammy happened. Okay, so she is, like, going about her normal career, right? Mm -hmm. She's got these Mm -hmm. little parts, and then she attends a party for a movie, that's supposed to air and something Mm -hmm. happens at that movie that changes her yeah something happens at that party okay and unfortunately she had gone to the party unaccompanied and it was out of town so we don't know what happened mm -mm, nope we really don't know a Mm -hmm. lot about really much of anything that happened at that rap party and i really feel like that's where further investigation into this case should start, though, because clearly something happened. And you'll see what I mean when I'll tell you how she changed. And there should be a lot of people that investigators could talk to if this is a bigger party. That's what I would. Th- I mean, they know the actors, at least, who are in the film. So they know, you know, at least the majority of people who would be mm-hmm. at this rap party. So let me tell you a little bit about. I guess the kind of girl Tammy was before, because when you hear about her changes, it's going to come from really her mom, the description of the changes and from a young man named Wing Flanagan. Well, he was a young man at the time. Obviously he's an adult now. So Wing Flanagan was also a client of Tammy Lynn's mother, Linda, because remember she's the modeling and right talent the pageant coordinator Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. so wing was also a client but he had actually come to live with tammy and her mom from the time he was around 11 and i didn't read anywhere why he came to live with them but just that he did so he grew up with tammy like they were brother and sister okay And there was an anecdote I read about their relationship that I just have to share with you because I feel like it's so telling of kind of 
their interactions before. So when Tammy and Wing were both young, and Tammy was a little bit older than Wing, she would always, as she was leaving the house, kiss him on the cheek, and it would leave, like, the lipstick impression on his cheek. And he recalled being so embarrassed by it when he was, you know, 11 and 12, and you know, just like what rubbing it off and wiping it off and just turning red and all of that. But as the years passed, she kept doing that. Anytime she was leaving, she'd kiss him on the cheek and she'd leave that lipstick mark. But later, of course, you know, when boys are more interested in girls, that lipstick mark, he said it was a quote unquote status symbol and he wore Oh, I proudly. bet it was. Yeah, because somebody as pretty as Tammy had left it there. So, you know, later on he's like, I'm not wiping that off, you know. <laughs> I'll get some props. Yeah, because that. that's I can yeah. I've gained <laughs> a rep with this. That's right. But despite their close relationship, something was off with Tammy after that party. And this is according to Wing because he knew her, you know, he could, he could tell. And he said that when Tammy Lynn came home from that weekend getaway, that she came home, quote, a different person, end quote. And when you say he's a young man, do you mean he's 17, 18-ish age? I'm going to say he was probably, so at this time, she's like 17, 18. Again, I didn't read any specifics about the age difference, but I'm going to say he was probably like maybe three years younger. Okay. So like Mm -hmm. 14-ish, Somewhere around there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So when she came back, he could, he could tell that something was wrong. And so he would continually ask her, he would be like, Tammy, you know, what's wrong? What's bothering you? And she would either just evade the question by changing the subject, or she would laugh it off and just be like, nothing's bothering me. And she never told him, but he could tell something was wrong. And I feel like it had to be something really bad for her not to tell basically her brother. Like, I think it would have to be something that she thinks would worry him or, you know, he might get super angry about, maybe not even at her, but at the circumstance she may have been put in. Mm Mm-hmm. And it went from her just seeming off like something was bothering her to full-blown paranoia pretty quickly. So Tammy became continually paranoid, nervous that she was being watched, that she was being followed, that someone was out to get her. And, you know, honestly, she has started in Hollywood and she's really pretty. She's really young. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Something probably happened at the party that very much justified how she's feeling. I'm sure she was Mm -hmm. a target for a lot of creepy, nasty people. Oh, probably. Yeah. But to show you how sure she was in her mind that somebody was out to get her, at one point she looked at her mom and she said, Mom, what would you say if I told you that someone was trying to kill me? Oh, my. 
But then her mom was like, you know, what do you mean? Why do you think that? Who do you think is trying to hurt you? And she would never answer those questions. She just said this they would definitely kill her if she talked to anyone about what she had witnessed. This sounds kind of similar to um, Chuck Morgan's case. Mm -hmm. 161 that we did where he Mm -hmm. wants his wife to move the car because he doesn't want them air quotes to know that he's home because they are looking for him right yeah it's super similar and with that case and with this one there becomes then the speculation of is this they a real threat or is it Mm -hmm delusions but whoever they were tammy believed that the threat was very real and obviously there was some type of threat because we're talking about her case today Uh, exactly right and so that's why we're still speculating on i guess the the full extent of what she told people and what i'm about to detail it truly illustrates just how nervous she was about someone trying to kill her. Tammy began, and this is like slowly developing over the months after she returns from that rap party. She started to withdraw herself from company. So just become mm-hmm. more isolated. She refused to drink from any already opened wow. container. Because she was afraid that someone had slipped poison into it. So, like, if something is already open, she would not drink out of it. And when she was eating, she wouldn't eat food off of the plate that she had been served unless somebody else took a bite of it first, just so she would know it wasn't poisoned before she would even take a bite at all. Or she would just eat off of other people's plates and leave her own untouched. So, even, like, her mom makes a pitcher of lemonade. She's that scared. Yep, even in her own home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you would think, and I think that's probably an example of the time why some people believe these were delusions is because it it wasn't as though her paranoia was focused on strangers, right? It was everyone. It was everybody. And so I think that and her breaking point that I'll talk to you about here in just a second, I think is why many people do believe that these were delusions, her ideas of threats. But, you know, I think if you are so scared Mm -hmm. initially, it could be someone outside, like outside her home, I'm sure, you know, but she's just so scared that maybe she gets mentally to the point where she's like, I can't trust anyone. So maybe it's a little bit of both, you know, it's a real threat, but she's also so scared that it's kind of went a little unrealistic. Right. I I mean, uh, yeah, you're right. We don't know. Uh, Somebody could have said, you know, I know where you live. I know where your mom shops for food. Right. You know, and then you're like, I can't even eat, you know, (laughs) and you would take it, I guess, to that extreme. Other times, Tammy would do things like she, at one point, she called Wing over to the window in their, at the front of their home. And she said, look outside and tell me what you see. And he's like, 
okay, um, our neighbors got a new van and it was a van where, and I, I tried to see if this kind of tent was big in the eighties. I know window tent was in the eighties, but it was almost like a mirror tent to the windows where the windows Mm. of the van looked like mirrors. And after he said, you know, our neighbors got this new van, she made a comment about, yeah, now they can see us, but we can't see them. And so that's why I was saying this paranoia. It's of nearly everyone, you know, and because it was so egregious, like I said a second ago, I think that's why her family even was beginning to feel like the delusions were just paranoia and not a real outside threat. Right. But I don't know. It just, I don't know what to think yet. I'm going to hold my judgments. Okay. Okay. There were some times when her paranoia was almost like clairvoyant because one time the phone rang and as it was ringing, Tammy looked at wing and she said, tell that caller that I'm not home. It was almost like she knew that the call was going to be for her And not for Wing or for her mom, Linda, or something like that. And the caller was actually calling for Tammy. And Wing, you know, because he loves Tammy, she's like his sister. She He told the caller, you know, Tammy's out. She's not here. Can I take a message? You know, but she never wanted to talk on the Mm -hmm. phone. Again, she was just kind of withdrawing. But overhearing that interchange when Tammy tells Wing, you know, tell them I'm not home, her mom, Linda, asked her daughter, she said, you know, why don't you want to answer the phone? What's what's bothering you? And she reportedly said to her mother, I saw something awful, something really bad that I wasn't supposed to see. But again, when she was asked follow-up questions, she refused to say anything more. There's so many questions I have, but mm-hmm. I'm, like I said, I'm going to hold off for a minute. Okay. Despite the drastic change in her personality, there would be momentary glimpses of the old Tammy. It's what Wing took to calling her good days. But even on those days, her mother still saw a different look in Tammy's eyes. The little girl who had smiled from daylight to sunset with those bright eyes taking in everything now rarely smiled. She continued to withdraw herself from others and her eyes instead were filled with fear. Tammy Lynn was convinced that someone was going to murder her. She was so convinced, in fact, that a friend of hers later said that Tammy told him that she had taken to sleeping with a knife under her pillow. I wonder why she didn't go to the police. We're going to talk about the police here in a second. We'll get to that. Despite these recent changes in demeanor, Tammy Lynn did still travel to Miami in March 1983 so that she could film her part in Scarface. So all of that was happening mm-hmm. from from the time of the rap party, which again, I found no specific date on, but I'm going to assume was late summer, early fall of 82. So over the course of, you know, what? Six, like six or so months. Mm-hmm. She was just 
slowly kind of the old Tammy was just slowly deteriorating. So she traveled to Miami in March 1983 to film that part. And while in Miami, she was staying with a family friend, Walter Leibowitz. However, four days into filming, so she'd only been down there and filming for just a few days. They were filming Tammy Lynn's scene during which, like I said, she is the distraction for the lookout driver. But during that filming, she also witnessed the filming of a particularly bloody moment in the movie where it appeared as though an actor was shot. And of course, you know, stage makeup and everything, fake blood Mm -hmm. began squirting out. And I guess now would be a good time to fill you in on the fact that Tammy Lynn was terrified by the sight of blood. Yeah, I'm not very good with needles. (laughs) The goal of a film, obviously, is to make the illusion of a bloody scene look real. Apparently, the talent Mm -hmm. was strong in that department for the film Scarface. Because Tammy Lynn (laughs) was more than mortified when she witnessed that scene. And you know what else? I bet if she's scared, someone is going to hurt her. I think that could almost mm-hmm. be triggering for her, you know, if it looks mm-hmm. so real that she couldn't tell the difference between reality mm-hmm. and fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when I say that she was mortified, she actually had a breakdown on the set of the film and was crying so hysterically wow. That she had to be sent back to her trailer and the casting director called Leibowitz because he was like her guardian while she was down there in Miami. And by the time he got to her, she was still hysterical and she was talking nonstop and kind of nonsensically about how they are going to try to kill her. She witnessed a money laundering scheme. She didn't know where she would, Mm. she could hide. You know, they're going to try to kill me because of it. Those are the things that she's talking about. And of course, Leibowitz is like, what, what's going on? What money laundering scheme? Who's going to try to kill you? And again, he couldn't get any answers. So Leibowitz actually called Tammy's mom, Linda immediately and told her You know, he said, first of all, Tammy is hysterical. She needs to come home, but you also need to take her to a doctor and you need to take her to the police because I don't know if what she's talking about are legitimate threats or whether these are delusions. Okay, that was going to be another question I had was if they sought professional help because I feel like if she's sleeping with a pill or a knife under her pillow, she won't drink out of open containers. She won't eat off her plate. Even mm-hmm. if those are legitimate fears or delusions, like he said, she needs real help. She needs uh, absolutely. To see it all yes. So when Tammy Lynn came home, Linda convinced finally tammy to talk to the local sheriff right you asked if she was going to talk to police so it took a lot Mm -hmm. of convincing but linda finally convinced her to go talk to the sheriff and she did go but purportedly we'll talk about this a little bit later in the theories she never spoke to law enforcement of feeling like her life was in danger so she changed her story i don't know if she changed it 
as much as maybe didn't detail anything. Left parts out. So, yeah. So now, you know, we have to Hmm. question, why wouldn't she tell police of her fears and then obviously get protection from them? And my only answer to that at this point in the episode is that whether for a legitimate reason or not, she truly believed that if she spoke too much about what she supposedly saw, that she would be killed. I mean, it happens all the time where people are like, no, I can't go to the police because if I go to the police, then, you know, these bad things will happen. Mm-hmm. So that's the and only thing she doesn't thing even trust her think. parents or her mom right. and her, mm-hmm. you know, brothers. Why would she trust the police? Right. But because she didn't mention any threat, no actions were taken by the police. As for the doctor Man. visit that Leibowitz suggested, it didn't seem as though Linda took Tammy to have her evaluated at first. And I, I feel like this happened mostly because in the reports, they noted that Tammy, even when she came back from Miami, continued to have that mix of both good days and bad days, just like before her trip for Mm -hmm. the filming. So I'm assuming it was one of those, you know, you never want to, as much as you want to help your children through difficult situations, it's hard as a parent to admit that your child is going through the difficult situation in the first place. Yeah. And I, part of me wonders if, you know, Tammy having those good days was why Linda hadn't taken her. You know, maybe she's convincing herself, you know, whatever Tammy's dealing with, it's something that she can handle mm-hmm. on her own. She's working through it. Yeah, because she's, yeah, because she's not, you know, having a bad day every day. Those mm-hmm. good days are sprinkled in. So I'm sure mm-hmm. that Linda's like, oh, you know, if it was really bad, then every day would be like this. There's a, there's hope because she does still have good days. Right. But the shift in Tammy's personality came to a head, though, on July 1st, 1983. Wing was sitting on the couch reading when Tammy suddenly became angry with him and started yelling at Wing to stop staring at her. And he, you know, he's sitting there. He was reading a book. So he says, you know, I wasn't staring at you. So he's, he's denying it. And Tammy got even more Mm -hmm. angry. She ran through the front door, you know, threw the door open, ran outside. And because she had kind of thrown the door open with such force when she exited, it closed behind her as she went out. You know what I'm saying? Like you throw the door open and because you've thrown it open and it's on a hinge, it kind of swings back. Well, when it closed behind her, the door was locked. So she was locked outside. It wasn't until she was outside and she turns back around and tries to open the door and realizes that it's locked. You know, she has that fear that whoever this they might be is out there and they're trying to get her. So her anxiety heightens, you know, and so she's shaking the doorknob trying to get in. She's banging on the front door, screaming to be let back in but before wing could even get to the front door to unlock it to let her in tammy had grabbed a baseball bat that was in the front yard and she shattered the front window of the home 
to get back in. Oh, so she could let herself in. Mm-hmm. So Wing opens the door to have her come back inside. You know, I'm sure he was thinking, okay, she's going to be grateful, you know, to me for letting her back in. Mm-hmm. But instead. Well, I bet part of her, though, thought that he locked the door. Well, she did. And so when she ran to the front door, she just started kind of hitting him with her fists and screaming at him and accusing him of locking her outside on purpose. And so her mom, Linda, runs in to see why Tammy's yelling. But both Linda and Wing said that they felt like Tammy was in almost some sort of a trance or a daze and that she didn't even recognize Mm -hmm. the two of them. So Linda said she just held Tammy and she just repeated, I love you. I love you. I love you over and over until Tammy had calmed. And it was then, yeah, it was after that moment, Maggie, that Linda took Tammy Lynn to the Brevard County Mental Health Center for a mental health evaluation. Yeah, so, I definitely think she needs help. Mm-hmm. Tammy Lynn was actually kept at the facility for 72 hours, during which time they tested her for drugs and alcohol in her system. She had neither. And for, well, most of the reports, this was another confusing part of the research, just said a full physical examination. It didn't mention a mental health evaluation, but she's at a mental health center. So I'm assuming that that is part of that check. Yeah, it would almost have to be. Mm -hmm. But regardless, nothing was identified as an issue so that makes me think that then the threat was real right if they if yeah if they're not able to find anything wrong with her but when tammy came back home on july 4th 1983 the fear didn't dissipate she was still convinced that she wasn't safe she even made her mom promise on july 4th that if anything happened to her that her mom would, quote, get even with that person, end quote. So she's basically mm-hmm. making her mom promise, like, if somebody kills me, you will get them. You'll avenge me. Yeah. Yeah. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The next day, on July 5th, 1983, Tammy hung out with one of her best friends, Rick Adams, with whom she also shared her fears of being killed because, and she, 
she had told numerous other people just this vague concept that she had seen something that she shouldn't have seen. So that's a common thread right. amongst what she's telling people. In an attempt to either make her feel better, help her feel safe, or both, the two of them went to a local church, to Rockville Evangel Chapel, to pray for Tammy. Rick reported that well, that's Tammy such a just, supportive friend. I know. I know. Yeah. Rick reported that Tammy just sat and cried for the longest time. And after they left the church, they decided that it would be helpful for the two of them to come back to the church to pray again the next afternoon. And it was with that plan in place that Rick dropped her off at her home. Okay, so we're on July 5th. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, by the next afternoon, Tammy was already gone. Interesting, which makes me think it wasn't of her own accord. Hmm. We're going to talk about some theories. In hindsight, Rick also reported the odd goodbye that Tammy had given. When he dropped her off, she told him that she loved him. And he said, you know, I love you too. And then she said something like, you know, I might be going away for a while. And he assumed, yeah, he assumed that she was actually referencing a trip that she already had planned. She had already planned a three-month trip to California. And, you know, he knew that that trip was coming up soon. So in his mind, he was kind of thinking that that's what she was referencing. But she could have been referencing something else, hence Mm -hmm. the reason we're talking about her today. Exactly. The following day. July 6th, 1983, was the last day Tammy Lynn Leapert was seen alive. The day began fairly routinely. Tammy Lynn was dressed in a blue denim skirt, a matching blue denim shirt with flowers on the shoulders. She had a gray purse, her sandals. She actually told her mom that she was going to go out with her friend Keith to Cocoa Beach, Florida. It was only about a 14-mile trip from Tammy's home in Rockledge, Florida. Right, So they're just going to go not very far away. And did she hang out with Keith normally? I don't know how often she did, but he was a friend of hers. Okay. And I'll get into more detail later. And I say the day began fairly routinely also because Tammy Lynn's mother noticed that Tammy had not brushed her hair before going out. And she noticed that detail Hmm. because it was so out of character for the Tammy Lynn that she knew who would even after her shift in character wouldn't dare go out with a single hair out of place. And here she was leaving without even having, you know, I kind of wish I was more like that. I know we talk about this all the time. Why are we not, you know, people who always call each other because then people would know when, you know, something has happened or, why don't we have super yeah. clean places? Because if somebody broke into my house, I don't know if they would tell if, you know, things were thrown. Yeah, they wouldn't be able to tell. About, or that's just how <laughs> dirty my house is. Yeah, I know. So 
But that was so, <laughs> so out of character for Tammy that her mom, it, it stuck out to her mom. And so as Tammy strolled out the door, she said to her mom, bye mom, I'll see you in a little bit, okay? And it was just something about the look that Tammy had when she was walking out, the way she said that. There was something that gave Linda this feeling in her gut as she walked Tammy, watched Tammy get into Keith's car that said, I need to go out and I need to at least look at her because this could be the last time that I'm seeing her. And so she did. Wow. She went outside. She watched as Tammy was driving away. And she just couldn't shake that feeling that this was the last time that she would ever see Tammy. And her feeling was right. A mother's intuition. According to Tammy's friend, Keith, and at this point, Maggie, he's the last person to see her alive. So really all we have to go on is what he tells us has happened mm -hmm. so according to keith he said that tammy had called him up and asked him to drive to see her he was actually working as a banker in lakeland florida at the time which was almost two hours away from rockledge but he agreed oh, so that's a little and, weird i think yeah i mean that's a that's a distance to come so he had agreed to come and pick her up, and she had also reportedly requested money from him to borrow $300, which he said he gave her. But one report actually stated that he owed her that money and he was repaying it to her. Then it might make a little bit more sense, especially if she wants money, to be like, hey, come and see me. Bring me the money you owe me. You know what I mean? And I think this could be or play into a potential theory I'm sure we're probably going to talk about. Mm-hmm. It does. Problematically, during that day outing with her friend Keith, and I don't know if this happened on the way to the beach or the way back back from the beach because most reports said he picked her up around 11 a.m. and the next event that I'm about to tell you about happened around 1 p.m. so that's two hours but they're only 14 miles from the beach so I don't know if they but then mm -hmm. who who drives to the beach and then only spends an hour and then drives back so I don't know how these two hours played out but the two are in the car, and they end up getting into an argument. When, inter mm -hmm. when interviewed by law enforcement, Keith said that the argument was about his unwillingness to drive Tammy to Fort Lauderdale, as she was requesting. So remember, he'd already driven about two hours to see Tammy, and she was mm -hmm. wanting him to drive her to go to another friend's house who lived in Fort Lauderdale. And he says, you know, I, I'm not going to drive to Fort Lauderdale. That's, you know, two and a half to three hours away. Right. So he's like, I just drove two hours. I don't want to drive another, you know, two and a half to three. 
And he said that yeah, was I understand the issue. That sure. Right. Yeah. He said that was the issue that when he refused, that Tammy Lynn then he says demanded to get out of the car. Like, fine, let me out then. Hmm. Let me out. So he says he obliged and he actually dropped Tammy Lynn off alone in a parking lot beside of an Exxon gas station off of State Road A1A near the Glass Bank building in downtown Cocoa Beach sometime that afternoon. Oh, I can already tell. I'm sure that Keith has a lot of a lot of guilt. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And some reports said, and again, others didn't, so I don't know which version is true. Some reports said that when she got out of Keith's car, that she had actually left her purse and her sandals in his car. And so here she is barefoot yeah. and without her purse. But then other versions don't say anything about her being you know, shoeless and moneyless. But when she gets dropped off, she actually starts making some phone calls. So from there, we know that Tammy Lynn called her Aunt Ginger's costume shop because her aunt had this shop actually in Cocoa Beach, right? And that's where she has been okay. dropped off. She called three separate times to her aunt's shop, and she left increasingly frantic messages. However, her aunt couldn't answer because her aunt didn't even know Tammy was calling. Her aunt was out of town. So, of course, those phone calls went unanswered. Tammy then tried to call another friend looking for a ride, but that friend also didn't answer and after those phone calls Maggie and she is so paranoid anyways mm -hmm. I bet this just I'm sure the messages oh, can you continue imagine? to get more and more frantic because right yeah she's realized she's by herself now mm -hmm. they're gonna get her for sure mm -hmm. I'm positive the calls got more frantic they did and after those phone calls Maggie Tammy Lynn Leapert vanished Wow. And again, I know we're going to talk about this, but it's mm -hmm. like, was it the they or was it Tammy? Mm -hmm. Because at this point, I think it could be either one because she's by herself, mm -hmm. but then she's probably so frantic. It could have been on her own accord as well. Right. And we're going to talk about all of those theories. So when the hours began to pass without Tammy returning home, Linda began calling all of Tammy's friends, but none of them had seen her nor spoken with Tammy. And that's when Linda called the police. But because Tammy was 18, I know not just you, Maggie, oh. but all of our listeners can guess what the police told Linda. Yeah, she's they an said, adult. Mm -hmm. She probably left on her own. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that's exactly what they told her. And so, you know, she they said, well, she'll probably just turn back up. But of course, you already know because yeah, we're talking okay. about her case. She didn't. So a missing persons report was finally filed on July 11th. 1983, five wow. days after Tammy had last been seen. 
Well, we know the fir- the first 48. Oh, I know. I know. And we've long passed that. Her case actually mm-hmm. aired in the premiere episode of season five of Unsolved Mysteries in September 1992. However, there have been some criticisms of the reenactment and description of Tammy Lynn's case on the show. For example, they showed Keith's car as a black car, but the real car was either a white Corvette or a blue Maverick. They said, and it's weird that we don't know that because wouldn't Keith know the car he was driving? Right, exactly. They said that she was five foot two or five foot three, but her sister says that she was actually an inch or two taller than that, that she was around five foot four. And although the show described her home being in Cocoa Beach, it was actually, as I mentioned previously, in Rockledge, Florida. Wow. So there were lots of, yeah, lots of inconsistencies. But unfortunately, all of the leads that came in as a result of the airing of the show ended up being dead ends. Now, there are several theories as to what happened to Tammy Lynn after those phone calls. And some of them require some backstories, which is why I'm kind of getting into the theories earlier in this week's case so i'm going to outline each of them and then as always i want to know which theory you think is most likely gotcha so theory number one tammy ran away intentionally after her disappearance several of tammy's friends were interviewed by law enforcement and the common thread among their answers as to speculation of what happened to tammy was that she left voluntarily they wow, stated, her friends and yeah, family said that? Not her family, her friends. Oh, they friends. stated okay. that Tammy really wasn't happy at home and that she and her mother argued frequently about Tammy's career choices and that Tammy just couldn't wait to get out of the house. Her friend Keith, the one that she was with that last day, reportedly said that Tammy was also extremely angry with her mom about the psychiatric evaluation and, you know, being in that hospital for 72 hours and that she just wanted to leave home. But I don't know if this is one of those normal teenager conversations and it was just all talk. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I feel like... Any teenager would be mad at their parent for having them psychologically evaluated for 72 hours. I think that's a normal response for her. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, how many teens are probably like, oh, I can't wait to be out of here when really they would Mm -hmm. ball their eyes out, you know, when they have to leave. Mm -hmm. But Linda did agree that she and Tammy got into arguments. I mean, per usual for teens and their parents. But Linda said that none of them were so catastrophic to their relationship that Tammy would have to run away. And Linda actually argued as well that, you know, Tammy's just about to go on a three-month trip to California If she's so desperate to get away, she's just about to leave. So why was she running away, you know, days before she's getting ready to leave anyway? So she says that doesn't really make any sense. And I wonder why she would run away if she's on the brink of having her career take off. She's starring in increasingly Mm -hmm. more well-known movies. 
So I think Mm -hmm. that's a little weird, too. Mm Mm-hmm. Several months after Tammy Lynn was last seen, Cocoa Beach Police Detective Harold Lewis actually received two separate phone calls from an unnamed woman. The woman told him that Tammy was alive and that she would return home, but only when the time was right. That was the content of the first call. Okay. The second phone call, this anonymous woman also assured the detective that Tammy was alive and well and that she had actually left of her own accord to begin the life that she had always wanted going to school to be a nurse okay so are these two people they were two different women no the same woman these are the same woman who calls twice Mm mm-hmm And Detective Lewis actually told a reporter from Florida Today in 1985, quote, I have a gut feeling that Tammy just split, end quote. Hmm. However, it was really the content of this second phone call from this anonymous woman that Tammy's family says, "Mm, there is no way those phone calls are, are legitimate. First, Tammy wanted to be an actress Right? She had never even mentioned being a nurse. And mm-hmm. second, yeah. what is Tammy terrified of? Oh, yeah. I forgot that she was really scared of blood. So why yeah. would she want to be a nurse when she would be around that every day? Exactly. Yeah, that's not exactly a prime quality in somebody who wants to be a nurse, is being terrified of blood. Mm-hmm. Theory number two is that Tammy had a psychotic break and maybe doesn't remember who she is. Okay, I feel this one a little bit. Mm-hmm. Tammy Lynn, many argue, was suffering from persecutory delusions at the time. That is often a frequent marker of schizophrenia. So this... Okay, I was going to say when she had the episode with the boy, what was his mm-hmm. name? With Wang. Yes, Wang. that it mm-hmm. sounded like she was almost having a manic episode of some sort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so these these delusions, this fear of someone out to get you that's not real, is, like I said, it can be a marker of schizophrenia. And schizophrenia actually normally presents itself in young men, around their late teens to early 20s but usually not in women until mid to late 20s but it can begin to manifest in like the late teenage years and it can also be brought about by trauma so if she did i mean certain things that she said could potentially be true she might have witnessed something that was traumatic to her and it kind of brought on these schizophrenic episodes so she might have had a psychotic break as a result of schizophrenia or even of something like ptsd which could also have been caused by seeing something or experiencing something distressing so those who argue the legitimacy of this theory of this psychotic break they argue that tammy might not even remember who she is so if she is alive out there somewhere right she could have been so disassociated from her former life 
because of these delusions that she was having that she no longer even remembers who she is. Cause remember in that moment when she's breaking the front window, both Linda and wing said mm-hmm. it was like, she didn't even recognize who they were. And that's what I was saying with the blood in that one scene with Scarface. I wonder, mm-hmm. you know, that just triggered something in her. And I wonder mm-hmm. if she had a similar instance here and it just triggered like her PTSD or triggered mm-hmm. that break for her. Mm-hmm. And now she just doesn't know who she is. Right. Now, because of this theory, her DNA has been compared with several, several Jane Doe's who were discovered over the years, but she has yet to be a match mm-hmm. to any of them. Theory number three is that Tammy legitimately saw or heard something that she shouldn't have and that she met with foul play as a result. One theory that Tammy's mom, Linda, and some of of her friends and family have held firm to is that fact that they believe that Tammy met with foul play under circumstances that she herself had outlined to all of those people remember i said that's a common thread that she said she saw something that she shouldn't have seen Mm -hmm. so now they believe that maybe her quote-unquote delusions weren't so delusional after all and that's kind of the guilt that they're feeling is why didn't we take it more seriously you know why didn't i set her down and say you're not leaving until until you tell me who they are yeah Right. But you can't think that way. I think that would drive you crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in hindsight, though, I get what you're saying. You know, you can't play the what if game. But in hindsight, they're thinking, you know, she did say that someone was out to kill her. And mm-hmm. now she's gone. Right. She's disappeared. So mm-hmm. they actually do believe that she did overhear something or see something at that rap party that she shouldn't have seen and that she was killed because of it. So their leading theory is that her disappearance is somehow connected to a local drug trafficking ring. Linda even mm-hmm, Linda even intimated at one point that she thought it was possible that Tammy had somehow gotten involved in a drug and money laundering scheme. Because remember, when she's down in Florida, in Miami, she's always in Florida, when she was down in Miami with Leibowitz, she was telling him about this money laundering scheme. I wonder if what evidence she had to jump to that. Yeah, because that seems really odd, a really odd thing to say, you know, like something about money laundering. Mm Mm-hmm. But according to the Unsolved Mysteries episode about Tammy's case, they mentioned that the U.S. Customs Service at the time did report that there were several money laundering cases in Florida at the time that were being investigated by the FBI. But Hmm. obviously we don't know if there's any connection. If there was any connection. Mm -hmm. More specifically... Tammy had reportedly told Linda also a single time, just once, that a friend had confided in Tammy that a large money laundering scheme was actually being operated in Brevard County, where Tammy lived. 
that involved local law enforcement and even well-known citizens of the community. So conspiracy Hmm. theorists, now I'm going to go back to that going to the cops to make the statement, right? Conspiracy theorists wonder if Tammy did actually report some of the information to law enforcement that she believed there was a money laundering scheme, things that she saw right? That she actually told law enforcement about it when her mom made her visit the station, but that the report was never filed because it would have implicated people within the department. Oh, That's what conspiracy theorists say. Mm -hmm. Theory number four, Tammy's friend, Keith, the last person to see her alive. Mm -hmm. This friend was... At least someone with whom Tammy's mother felt should have been looked into further. Because, you know, you asked me how often they hung out and if they knew each other well. Well, Tammy's mom actually told police later that Tammy was, and this was according to several reports in my research, afraid of Keith. Never read why. Interesting. But said that she was afraid of him. So I wonder then if the trip was planned by Keith or planned by Tammy for him to come get her. Right. So all we know is he says that she called him. Right. We're taking his word for all of it, actually. Right. But I will say, I mean, most of the reports said that he kind of pulled up outside and just honked his horn and she came out. And I mean, if she didn't know to expect him, then she definitely wouldn't have done that. But I wonder if she initiated the phone call to him like, hey, come see me. Or if he called and was like, I'm coming to see you. Yeah, that I do not know. Do not know. I will say kind of keeping in line with what Tammy's mom, Linda, said about how she feels like he should have been investigated further. A couple of sources said that Keith refused to take a polygraph, which I don't necessarily blame him on that, and I'm not judging him right on yeah. that. But I also read that he, two separate times, denied interviews with law enforcement. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That makes me feel like he has something to hide. Yeah, he wasn't really cooperative at first, and yet he is not considered a suspect in Tammy's case. But he's the last person to see her. I know. Yeah, so you would think, you know, we at least need to look into him. So I don't know if they didn't consider him a suspect because... You know, they verified maybe that Tammy Lynn had made those phone calls and that they were made from right at the location where he says he left her and maybe around the same time Mm -hmm. that he says he left her. And, you know, maybe he even has a solid alibi after he leaves her there. But if he drove back home, there's two hours that you can't really account for. You're just saying I was driving. And again, I didn't read why he isn't considered a suspect. But if he doesn't have a solid alibi, you know, or if it's just, well, I was driving back home or something like that, then what would have been stopping him from leaving her there for a while to maybe let off steam or something Mm -hmm. and then coming back? 
Right. Or just lying about the whole thing. Right. He never dropped her off. Yeah. Tammy's mom, Linda, actually feels as though he was not investigated nearly as thoroughly as he should have been. In fact, one of the sources in my research stated that his car was never even tested for evidence. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's strange. Yeah. Theory five, a man named John Brennan Crutchley, a serial killer. Yeah, three names. Crutchley is suspected of kidnapping, raping, and killing as many as 30 different women. Wow. He was called the vampire rapist. Because after one abduction, rape, and killing, he actually drained the body of some of its blood and drank Uh, it. Mm -hmm. uh. Mm -hmm. He was believed to have taken his first victim in 1977, so several years before Tammy's case. Mm -hmm. But he was active in this area of Florida at the time that Tammy disappeared. In fact, he had moved to Brevard County in 1983, only two months before Tammy disappeared. Okay, so So this is a real possibility. I wonder, does he, does she get his MO? I don't, I didn't read if like most of the women who he had killed were a certain look Mm -hmm. just that they were you know he was in this vicinity around the same time in late november 1985 he was charged with rape in brevard county and in that same year is there's another woman who it's suspected that he murdered her name was patty lou valansky from mims florida and that woman lived only about 30 minutes north of rockledge where tammy lived Hmm. but we will likely never have final answers to whether crutchley was actually involved because he committed suicide in 2002 while incarcerated And he didn't give a list of people he had killed or anything. Right, right. And, you know, he's never been officially linked by law enforcement to Tammy's case. And without her body, there's really little to no way of knowing whether he's the perpetrator. Like, whether she fits his M.O. Right. Theory number six is Christopher Bernard Wilder. Any guesses? Oh, another one? serial killer. Yeah, another serial killer. And he might actually be one that you, Maggie, or maybe some of our listeners have heard about. So let me tell you about this Christopher Bernard Wilder. He has been linked by the FBI to the abduction of at least 12 women and to the murders of no fewer than eight young women across the U.S., all the way from Florida through Texas, Oklahoma, Nevada, California, and New York. He he definitely was in the area. Mm -hmm. But many of his victims in the early to mid-80s were in Florida. In fact, one of his victims, Mm. Teresa Waite Ferguson, was taken from a mall 
just eight miles away from Cocoa Beach. Right where oh, wow. Tammy is. Mm-hmm. Though that abduction actually happened in early 1984. And remember, Tammy disappears July 1983. But mm-hmm. let me tell you about Wilder's M.O. He would entice these young women into meeting him or coming to his home by saying that he was a photographer for famous magazines and modeling companies and that they would be a perfect model for him. Because of those lies, Wilder's nickname became the Beauty Queen Killer. Okay, so she definitely fits with his MO. yeah, yeah. And he may have even seen her if he's going to, you know, pageants or things like that. And Mm -hmm. side note, What is so sad to me about the victims of Wilder is that had he actually been detained long before when he should have been, so many more people would still be alive today. Because most of the murders that we know of from Wilder began in early 1984. But according to an article by Kim Pascalini, Wilder faced charges of gang rape in 1962. Wow. So like 22 years before the murders that we know of. But he only got one year of probation. And in 1971. This is like your Patreon case you did, Allison. Oh, I know. Yeah. In 1971. He was charged with soliciting young women for nude photographs, and all he got was a small fine for disturbing the peace. Okay, so slap on the wrist. mm -hmm, He raped a 16-year-old in 1976 and attempted to rape a 17-year-old in 1979, and for those crimes, he was put on five years probation. Okay, yeah, he should have been in jail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Wilder, who was from Australia, was allowed to go back to Sydney to visit his parents when, in 1982, he abducted two 15-year-old girls, stripped them naked, and took pornographic pictures of them. And for that crime, he posted bail and was allowed to come back to the U.S., They should have been like, nah, you can keep him. Yeah. And then the next thing we know of is the crime spree in early 1984. But you're really going to have me believe that nothing happened in the two years from when he came back to the U.S. in 1982 to the murders that we know of in 1984? Right. Nothing happened that he got caught for. Right. Tammy Lynn's mom, Linda, actually sued Wilder's estate believing that he might in some way be connected to her daughter's disappearance. She has publicly shared that she, this is originally, so she originally believed that Wilder actually knew her daughter, Tammy. She says that they had Hmm. met while Tammy was on set for the filming of the movie Spring Break. She further indicated that Wilder, or at least someone who looked just like him, had come to their home once and tried to convince Linda to let him photograph Tammy. Mm -hmm. 
Linda told a reporter for from the Miami Herald, quote, he's been in there looking for models, a man who looks very much like him. If it's not him, it's someone who looks so much like him, he's a twin, end quote. Early on in the investigation, FBI agent Clifford Batios told the same reporter from the Miami Herald, quote, we're not discounting it and we're not counting it at this point. She's a model. That's a common characteristic. There's always that possibility. But at this point, there's nothing definite, end quote, when he was talking about connections with Wilder. The lawsuit was paused, however, when doubts began to arise that Wilder was actually involved. After all, other than location, right, in Florida, there's no physical proof that would link him to Tammy Lynn's disappearance. Right, it's just a lot of coincidences. Like, Mm -hmm. he coincidentally went after girls that looked like her. He was in the area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Authorities have additionally never officially linked Wilder to Tammy. However, we again will never know because Wilder was killed in a police shootout in 1984. So could Tammy have been one of his victims? Right? Most of his victims were taken from public places. Maybe she even recognized him. You know, if she had seen him before, like her mother indicated, you know, around her house or at a modeling agency or on the movie set, you know, maybe she recognized him and believed he was somebody that she could trust. You know, and for all we know, you know, he's the beauty queen killer. There's reports that he could potentially have been on the set of Spring Break. What if that's what she witnessed? Oh, that's interesting. So then it kind of ties in full circle. Like she saw him doing something that she shouldn't have seen and he shouldn't have been doing. Mm -hmm. And now he comes after her. And because of his connections to kind of the beauty industry, he knows where to find her. Interesting. Theory number seven, a stranger... And a crime of opportunity. Nah, I don't know about we that. well, and I know I, I'm throwing it out there because obviously it is a possibility. We don't have any specifics for this theory, but I did want to bring it up because you know, could it be possible that someone saw Tammy walking by herself along the road, and they stopped to offer help or offer a ride? You know, I don't know if I believe this one either, Maggie, because I don't know if I believe because of Tammy's fears that this quote unquote they would try to kill her, that she would have taken Mm -hmm. a ride from someone, especially a stranger. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Yeah, but I mean, she would be a little too paranoid for that, I think. Yeah, I guess it could still be the case that maybe somebody offered her a ride and she declined it though and then you know they got angry and they hurt her something like that Cocoa Beach Police Department Criminal Investigation Division Lieutenant Bud Ayers told reporter Billy Cox of Florida Today in 2008 quote the world's a different place than it was back then there wasn't the awareness that we have today I'm not even sure that they had the term sexual predator in those days end quote 
So he's almost seeming to say, you know, it could have been a sexual predator who is driving by, sees this pretty girl all by herself, nobody's mm-hmm. around, and he acts on it. Yeah, she could even be in like a sex trafficking ring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Theory eight, somebody else who knew her. Now, this is a quick theory, but I feel like it's worth mentioning. Nearly every report on Tammy had a little side note that mentioned that she may have been three months pregnant. Okay, that is a little, adds a little interest. Yeah, and, and it was connected to nothing. Like, there was never any indication of who the dad might be or anything like that. Just that she may have been three months pregnant. It's believed that she found out about the pregnancy during that three days that she spent in the hospital when they did the complete Mm -hmm. physical examination and evaluation. Because she was so young, I question, could that be why she was crying in the church? Or could she have been raped and she didn't want the baby? It wasn't something planned. Yeah, I mean, it might also explain, like you're saying, I mean, depending on whether she had decided not to keep the baby or to keep the baby. And again, this is all, you know, hinging upon the fact that she is pregnant. It might also explain if she doesn't want to keep the baby, why she needed the money. Mm -hmm. Right. If she planned on something like an abortion and maybe even why she wanted to leave town and go to Fort Lauderdale. Right? Does she want to have some sort of operation there? Or, you know, why is she going there? Yeah, far away or, from home. Right. And, or, it, you know, if she's going to keep the baby, was that what she meant when she told Rick that she might be going away for a while? You know what I mean? Like, did she want to leave kind of town to oh, have the baby? You know, we don't know if she, if she was pregnant. Did she tell whoever was the father? You know, maybe she called somebody else after she called the people that we know about or maybe even because of her desperation at being alone and not being able to contact anyone maybe she did accept a ride from somebody who she wouldn't normally have and maybe that could explain her moods there that were mm -hmm. like you know switching and she seemed kind Mm -hmm. of depressed and withdrawn because you know not everybody has positive pregnancy experiences and some people Mm -hmm. do suffer from depression right early on in their pregnancy so it could have been something like that Mm -hmm. and I mean it could be a combination of some of the theories you know maybe she did see something that led to true paranoia but then she actually met foul play from a stranger or a serial killer You know, it could be a combination of them, or it could even be something else entirely. And to illustrate that, I'm going to throw in one final theory that is kind of related to a serial killer or to the stranger crime of opportunity theory, that Tammy's disappearance is somehow related to another murder that happened, that of Nancy K. Brown, who was also last seen in Cocoa Beach, Florida, and abducted one month to the day before Tammy on June 6th, 1983. Her remains were later found on March 8th, 1984, 
And they were, of course, identified as Nancy's. But her killer has never been identified. And this is a theory that perhaps Tammy's older sister, Suzanne, believes. Now, I'll be honest, this information for this last theory, it actually comes from a post on Porchlight International for the Missing and Unidentified. And it was made by someone named Susan who says that she is Tammy's sister. And Tammy does have a sister named Suzanne. So I don't know for sure that she made this post. I'm going to assume so. I actually tried to contact Suzanne for an interview for this episode, but I hadn't heard back from her by the time, obviously, we're recording this. Mm -hmm. However, this is what a portion of that post from Suzanne reads. Quote, I did extensive study into Nancy K. Brown and all the unsolved murders in Brevard County, Florida. No one would ever discuss this with me. Nancy K. Brown came up missing one month to the day before Tammy came up missing and almost in the same area. I tried to push the lead of the mechanic at the Cocoa Beach Exxon station in 1983. If anyone finds out who he was, please tell me, okay? Maybe picking Tammy up and possibly Nancy K. Brown or possibly the same person picking them both up. I investigated and around this area was Ron John's surf shop. Apparently there was prostitution around this area. I have thought maybe someone was abducting women who were walking, thinking that they were prostitutes. There were many prostitutes over the years found dead in Brevard County, Florida, and never looked into, end quote. So she's kind of thinking, could there be a mechanic or somebody who works at that Exxon station, since that's right near where both of these women disappeared within a month of one another, or maybe somebody from that surf shop, or maybe because Tammy would have been walking the streets by herself, that someone assumed that she was a prostitute. And because there had been so many murders of prostitutes in this county, could that explain it? So Maggie, what are your thoughts? So I think I'm kind of leaning between a couple different ones. I almost wonder if it's the she doesn't know who she is now theory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think she ran away from home. Keith is interesting just because I feel like he should have been questioned more and mm-hmm. just more cooperative with the police and in their investigation. Mm-hmm. And then all these serial killer theories are interesting too. I know. So I don't know. I mean, this is one of the, usually there's Kate, there are theories where we're like, no, no, ruling that one out. But this is one of those cases where almost every single theory could be the answer. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah. I just, I don't know. I keep going back to why did she want to go to Fort Lauderdale? But again, we're hearing that from Keith. So maybe she really didn't, you know? So Mm -hmm. I I don't know who to trust or what. Tammy's mother fought for answers and for justice for her daughter until the very end. In fact, in 1995, at the age of 54, Linda sat in her hospital bed 
rejected for a liver and kidney transplant because of her degenerative heart disease, voicing her dying wish that someone come forward with information about Tammy. Linda stated to reporter Billy Cox of Florida Times, quote, there's always the possibility that somebody will feel sorry for me. I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me, she declared in a voice just above a whisper. But if that's what it takes to get the right person to come forward, that's okay. I won't be able to bring charges against anybody. I just want to know, end quote. That same reporter, Billy Cox, in his September 20th, 1995 article, Dying Mother Keeps Fighting for Clues for Daughter's Fate, he related Linda's current situation to a memory that she holds close to her heart. He wrote, quote, Looking back, Curtis says one of the first films she ever saw, Peter Pan, turned out to not only be her favorite, but her daughter's favorite as well. The cinematic treatment about the boy who never wanted to grow up apparently wove symbolic threads throughout their lives. I always wanted to grow up to be Wendy so I could take care of Peter Pan, she says. When I found out Peter Pan wasn't real, it broke my heart. In a curious twist of life and art, Curtis is now the caretaker of an image, suspended in memory of the child that never grew up, end quote. It's an image that she sadly held on to to the very end as Linda Curtis passed away in 1995 shortly after that article was published. The image of Tammy as the blonde bombshell with the bright eyes and wide smile has become her legacy. At the time of her disappearance, Tammy Lynn Leeper was between 5'4 and 5'5", weighing between 105 and 115 pounds, with curly blonde hair and hazel eyes. An age progression image of what Tammy may look like now will be added to our social media posts about the case. Anyone with information concerning Tammy Lynn Leeper's disappearance should contact the Cocoa Beach Police Department at 321-868-3251 or email them at police at cityofcocobeach.com. Again, please like and join our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Twitter at Cases Coffee, on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast, or you can always email us suggestions to coffeeandcasespodcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll, we'll see, see you, you next week. Love notes with Maggie and Allison. Boop, boop. <laughs> Before we get into our love notes, I think we should remind all of our listeners about our giveaway that is open yes. to everyone. So the OGs and the newbies alike. Let's do it. The prize for the giveaway is your choice of an item from our Etsy shop. 
which is a pretty sweet prize if you ask me. I think so. Yeah. And remember that there are multiple ways that you can earn entries. As proof of your entries, you'll just need to take a screenshot and email them to us at coffeeandcasespodcast at gmail.com. And if you've already done one of the things, you can still earn entries Mm -hmm. as long as you send us a picture as proof. And so here's the things that you can do or if you've already done can earn you an entry. So one is recommend us on social media and tag at least two friends who you think would enjoy this show. So you just tag them and tag us by using the at symbol in front of their names and in front of Coffee and Cases podcast, and then it will populate. So we'll know. Mm -hmm. And then another way is you could write us a five-star written review. Which we will love you eternally for. Yeah, and we've gotten some of those, and they've made my day. Mm -hmm. So keep them coming. And then a third way that you could enter, which I think is a win-win for everyone, is that you join Patreon. And for Uh this giveaway, you'll get one entry for the $2 level, two entries for the $5 or $7 levels, three entries for the $12 level, four entries for the $15 level, and five Uh for the $20 level. And we have put that link in our show notes. And then a fourth way, see, there's all kinds of ways, people, is purchase something from the Etsy shop. So you got lots of chances to win something for free. The link for our Etsy is also in the show notes. And when you email us your proof of your entries, would you also please let us know what item from our Etsy shop you would like to win? And if it's clothing, what size? And that's it. We are going to give you it until March 6th to enter, which sounds like it's far away, but it's really not. It's really not. Just a couple weeks away. And we will announce the winner on our March 9th episode. So hurry up and get those in because you don't want to miss this chance. That's right. And now it's our favorite time of the episode, which is the love notes time. And we have so many. Mm-hmm. This has been a good we week. Yeah, we want to has. send love to Dana, Trisha, Kara, Joanna, Courtney, Barb, Laura, and Sharon for either reaching out to us on social media or email or recommending our podcast to other people. We couldn't continue the amazing amount of growth that we've seen without people like you. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Yeah, we have big love notes also going out to the mm-hmm. nine Nine five-star review writers that we have gotten since last week. And we're not going to read them all in their entirety, but I do want to highlight all of the names plus read a couple of the reviews. So Libra Luck 007 wrote, mm-hmm. I heard about this podcast from the Gone Cold podcast just a few days ago. I'm now on the 100th episode. Way to go. Wow. I know that's some dedication. And this podcast is just amazing. At first, I wasn't sure about the style, but now I love it because it's a breath of fresh air compared to other more dry and to the point podcasts. I love these ladies and how they tell the important details about these cold cases. I also love that they let us into their personal lives and we get to know them as well. So glad to have found the podcast, end quote. And we are equal as glad that you did yeah that was an amazing review when I read Mm -hmm. that I had the biggest smile on my face Mm -hmm. and we also want to send a lot of love to Dana Lee 48 who found us from another promo swap and said that we seem genuine and she Mm -hmm. looks forward to listening to our podcast and also 
love to deathcon 27 who said that our podcast is their new favorite no, which we I love also that. love to hear yes jps364 and Kristen kim both wrote reviews saying that we have engaging storytelling styles which thank you and thank km98654 you. and hope's soulmate said that they were glad to have found our pod and again, we're super glad as well. And then Jay Lent's author wrote that she loves our Southern twang and hearing <laughs> us peel back the layers in the cases that we cover. So we have so much love and appreciation to all of you who wrote those reviews. And finally, we have mounds and mounds of love going out to Trisha, who wrote, quote, while I love a good true crime podcast, one thing I don't love is the colorful language that so many other podcasters feel is necessary to tell their stories. Coffee and Cases does a good job of just telling the story to help get justice for the victim. That's exactly what I, what I want to hear in a true crime podcast. These girls are so funny and their personalities are so sweet. I could totally picture myself hanging out and having coffee with them someday, end quote. Well, Trisha... You are already a friend, yes, obviously, and so we totally picture having coffee with you or hot chocolate in my case as well. <laughs> yes, we do. We love Trisha. We do. And speaking of love, I also have a ton of love for Sharon, who is going to get an extra love note yes. this week for joining our CNC Patreon fam. And while we were recording, I actually got another notification so i'm just gonna go ahead and send out some more love right now oh. to drea who also joined our cnc fam last minute edition there look at that i know so we are so excited to have you as part of the cnc fam and we would actually love to see even more of you over on our patreon page as a member if you haven't joined yet and if you haven't joined what are you waiting for? Because there's all kinds of bonus episodes over there that are solved cases. We have tons and tons of mini episodes, all starting for just $7 a month. Plus, as Allison alludes to, nearly every episode, if you join at the $12, $15, or $20 per month level, then you will get in on a quarterly swag box. And mm -hmm. those have been super cool as well. And your level will determine the amount of items that go into your box. So there's incentive to join at the higher levels, but all of the items are fantastic that are in those. And if you want to be part of the next round, join one of those tiers for March through May. So you got time to get in mm -hmm. for the next round. And here's you a little do. hint. We are going to need your shirt size for this next yes, swag box. we are. So, wink, wink. Mm -hmm. If you want gifts or just the gift of bonus content, then Patreon is obviously for you. So just head over to patreon.com slash coffee and cases or click the link in our show notes to join. And with that, all of our love is going out to each and every one of you. Until next week, Sleuth Hounds.